Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music on this hump day. We have made it to the center of the week. We have and it has been an eventful week here in the merry old month of May. And it's still kind of cloudy. I'm looking for those iconic, shall we say, high pressures that usually form a large dome across this area of the country during the month of May. Low humidity, moderate temperatures, clear blue skies. What happened to that? Mother Nature had a different story in mind. Okay. Well, yesterday before, uh, of course, we went off the air during the show, we had discussed that the president and leaders of Congress were going to convene in the White House to discuss the debt ceiling because we are running out of money and the ability to pay all of our bills not none of them, but all of them. That, and there's a distinction there that's important. The fact that we cannot borrow more money, the U.S. government, to pay bills doesn't mean we can't pay any of them. we still got money to pay bills. we still have income. But because we spend more than we take in, we got to borrow money to make ends meet. So then, if we don't, if we don't uh, clear the way to borrow more money, done through increasing the statutory debt ceiling, then the Congress has to get together and figure out which bills to pay. That's crazy, but that's where we are right now. It would be the first time in our history we have ever defaulted on any payments in that way as a result of not extending the debt ceiling. It won't be the first time we have had to make those decisions based on lack of uh, appropriations. That happens all the time when we run into these situations where we need more money 
and the Congress has just pushed it all the way to the end. You know how that works every dang time, just like it did the last cycle, right before Christmas. And they ran through a $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill because we run out of appropriated money to operate the government. This is different. This is running out of the ability to borrow money as needed beyond the cash available and income to the government to cover expenses. That's where we are. So they met yesterday, and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy emerged from the meeting and said, really no movement from President Biden. All right, so I tuned in yesterday, Rhino. I endured the pain of Joe Biden. It's kind of the way he talks. It, it is sort of painful, honestly, to the ears. And he made remarks from the Roosevelt Room. This was 5.30 or so our time. And he actually took questions, which is unusual, typically doesn't take questions from reporters. I believe, to be precise, he fielded 15 questions, okay? And he, of course, bashes the Republicans in their efforts to curb spending And, of course, he referred to his predecessor. He loves to do that. And I'll quote you. And I'll remind you, the national debt went up 40% over the 200-year, went up 40% under my predecessor. He sort of failed to finish the statement there. And that's the problem we're dealing with today. It was all my predecessor. Failing, of course, to acknowledge that, and the statement is true. It is true. During 2020 in particular, Trump's last year, we added $6 trillion to the debt. It was sitting at $21, $22 trillion, added $6 trillion. And then if you look at the prior years, it amounts to uh, around $8.5 trillion total during his presidency. And it is true, that calculates out to 40% of the baseline before he took office. That's all true. However, he fails to mention that six-plus trillion of that and change was all done with full support of the Democrats because it was COVID spending. And looking back now, wouldn't you say what we've learned? Maybe that wasn't totally necessary. It's hard to say. Now, I understand that it was still novel. We didn't know everything. So maybe you proceed with an abundance of caution. Okay. But you did have some vacillating, I think it's fair to say, by Fauci. And uh, You can and, really uh, only use the argument that you didn't know for the first tranche of money. I agree. But it endured. And so I would say we overreacted at a minimum. But again, 
I point out, it's true that Trump and Republicans supported these spending measures. In fact, they Mnuchin designed most of them, Secretary of the Treasury under Trump. But every Democrat supported it. His own party supported it. So that's disingenuous, in my view. On the other hand, let's be clear, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, which was totally unnecessary and was absolutely like putting kerosene on a fire that was just ignited, no Republicans supported. Got zero Republican support. $1.9 trillion. And then he goes on to say, and as I've said before, I've already cut the deficit by $1.7 trillion in my first two years in office. And the budget just submitted to Congress cuts another $3 trillion in debt over the next 10 years, my budget that I submitted. Once again, confusing debt with deficit. It does not cut the debt by $3 trillion. The only way you cut the debt is if you eliminate the deficits. If you're overdrawn your bank account, you're overdrawn less last month, next month, you're still overdrawn. You still got to pay that. So the $1.7 trillion figure is correct when you compare it to when he took office. Because it was $3.1 trillion in Trump's last year. That's absolutely true. The deficit was. It was $1.4 trillion last year. That's $1.7. What he's not telling you is what we've shared with you on the program here, is that we're headed for nearly $2 trillion deficit this year. Always looking at the past, not focusing on the present and the future. I maintain voters, constituents... The American people can't change the past. We can dwell on that all day long. What they want to know is, how are you going to get us out of this mess right now and and going forward? And, of course, he once again jumps all over the cutting subsidies to the big oil companies, which is really stretching what they did and changing the tax code. Once again, hopped on this. There's... 50 corporations that paid no taxes on $40 billion of income. True. Okay. Put that 15% on them. You get $6 billion in a $6 trillion budget. It's 0.1%. So he's going to the people and say, look at me. I'm raising 0.1%. I call that a failure. Bottom line is, folks, we're nowhere on this debt ceiling debacle at this point. That's what there is to report. In the meantime, there are thousands, thousands gathered at the border. The president of Venezuela says, you got 80,000 coming your way. You saw that? 80,000. And the White House wouldn't take his call. Won't take his call. That's building up. Title 42 ends tomorrow. And in the meantime, I tell you, based on Representative Comer's investigation in the House, Biden just looks guilty to me. Coming right back with Quinn Jordan, executive director of the Mississippi Office of Broadband Expansion and Accessibility in the Element Well Studios. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. 
Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. Trailers for sale or rent. Rooms to let 50 cents. No phone, no pool, no pets. Got no cigarettes off. We are back in the Element Well Studios. It's middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Joining us now, Quinn Jordan, Executive Director of the Mississippi Broadband Association. Quinn, thanks for coming in. It's uh, it's just great to be here, and I thank you for um, carving out some time for us. Absolutely. So you've got the uh, first, I believe it's the first, broadband summit approaching tell us about that so yeah we we do um the mississippi broadband association was tapped to be created back in um, january january the third is our was our official start date and we started looking at ways that we could um, impact uh, mississippi and ensuring that we reach every home um, you know at the end of those long uh, gravel roads of mississippi and so the association was born out of necessity for helping the ISPs, the community colleges, the construction companies, the professional services all kind of come together and synergize efforts and resources to make sure that this ton of money that's coming um, to Mississippi gets optimized um, so that we can reach every every citizen in Mississippi. And I tell you what, broadband is one of those things that second to when your air conditioner goes out because electricity's off, um, you know, we're actually finding that people after disasters now, whenever um, they, their electricity and their connectivity is, is, is cut, that they prefer to have their um, broadband back up even quicker than their electricity and because of connectivity. So that's who I am, and that's what we do. And, yes, we have our first summit coming up May the 11th, um, which is tomorrow at Millsaps at the Christian Center and just have a wide variety of topics, but mainly focusing on federal funding that's um, that's ahead of this um, broadband expansion as well as workforce development. So uh, explain to our audience, if you would, Quinn, the distinction between the Broadband Association and the BEAM office, which Sally Doty is the director of. Yes, and so Sally Sally jokingly says that she has to count beans and I get to have fun. <laughs> so that's that's the quick um, the quick statement. The long statement is, is that Sally is over the federal funding that comes from the federal agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, CPF, which is Capital Project Funds, which is coming next. Um, and then you've got the BEAD, B-E-A-D money that's coming um, in the next 12 to um, 16 months, 18 months. Um, and that money is going to be coming to the state and she and Sally oversight has oversight of that money making sure that it's um, that it's invested properly in our state that it's awarded to the ISPs and she has to do all kind of legwork in the front their office is extremely busy and Sally and them are doing a great job of of mapping kind of where we are now and making sure that the FCC maps and their maps and the the providers maps kind of all talk together and make sure that we're representing because this money that's coming down the cpf and bead money is um 
the state has agreed and is looking at only using that money to reach the unserved mm-hmm. and the and the woefully underserved. Secondly, and so um, so whenever this money, the seat capital project funds, which is hopefully is going to be announced very soon for the state of Mississippi, um, comes down, Sally and them will administer that grant, uh, making sure that it's awarded, but also that the ISPs are staying in compliance. So they have a great relationship with Horn Horn um, Horn here in Jackson is a, is a accounting service that, that Sally and them are using, mm-hmm. and making sure that as, as these ISPs start building out these networks, that they're following um, federal procurement laws. And so they, Sally and them have a their plate tremendously full with just making sure that we don't have clawback of this federal money that's coming down. Yeah. And so, and then the association was kind of was built out of necessity to help the smaller ISPs that don't have the depth and the breadth of resources that, that the larger ISPs or the incumbents may have so that, you know, from marketing to grant um, writing, so just guidance in those areas, um, synergizing efforts um, such as um, educating the ISPs on what overlay products that the larger ISPs that would have that could help them to develop partnerships um, with the ISPs and the larger ISPs to so that when this build-out comes that we're making sure that we're not overbuilding because that, that is a um, that is something that we don't want to do. The state is estimated to get a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of over a billion dollars or there about a billion dollars in money to invest. And every dollar that, that comes is going to go to um, making sure that we do not overbuild anywhere. So if there's an area that's already having service, let's just say that um, if you're in the Jackson metro area and you've already got service to your home um, and the map says you have service to your home, um, then we'll make sure that, excuse me, Sally, then we'll make sure that um, that that money is not going to an area, to an ISP that's bidding on an area that already has that, so that we're ensuring that we're reaching those very rural areas like southwest Mississippi that has a tremendous gap. Who are your members? All right, so our members, so we're a new association, so what we're doing is this is our first event coming up again tomorrow, May the 11th, at Millsaps, and we're launching the membership program. Uh, now, our sponsors, we've got a long list of sponsors for the event, but we have not launched our membership yet. And okay. we wanted we did that uh, strategically because we wanted to let our members see the value add of the association and the, th- the type of services that we're going to offer, mm-hmm. such as the summits and the talks and the people that we're going to bring in. But, you know, Nokia and AT&T jump right on board and sure. is our top-level sponsors for this event. And then um, Unity Fiber, Comcast, um, Unitech Global Services really jumped in right behind them and said, hey, we want to make sure that we're a big part of this. Um, and, and, and a lot of these individuals are, are also saying that they will be become members of the association um ceasefire and horn and labakia do you know anything about labaki i do it's a neat little company here in in, in jackson area that does vr and mm-hmm. vr is going to be a huge the huge part of educational processes in the future of allowing people such as tower technicians and 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 fiber placement individuals to get that feel, mm-hmm. you know, for the first time because they say the biggest dropout that we have in the educational process of training these individuals is when they finally get on the pole for the first time mm-hmm. and they realize they're scared to death of their heights and they, they're out of the program, you know. So Labaki is going to be there. Neil Schaefer, Farm Bureau Federation, Mississippi Farm Bureau Federation, Calix, um, 
Higginbotham Insurance, Ready.net, IoT Mobile, and then Encompass, Bank Plus, Sienna, um, BBG Geometrics, Geometrics, and the Fiber Broadband Association, which is the National Fiber Broadband Association, as well as Trustmark. So we've got a lot of great companies behind us um, because they realize that they want to help invest in the future of Mississippi because they feel like, just like we do and just like Sally and them's office do as well, is that connectivity is the future of Mississippi, both in, in just quality of life but also economics so uh i know it's it's uh sally scope her office scope but where do we stand right now in in terms of if there are any what, what the data points are the percentage of addresses that are lit up and have access to service uh, sure. of all addresses in the state. Where do we stand? Sally is telling them are actually right in the process of all those challenges, so okay. I'm not going to give you an exact number, but what I will tell you is that Sally and them have a website. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Sally's website at, um, through the Beam office, and um, there's, a, there's a map of Mississippi that shows the underserved and the unserved areas all over the state. So, for example, if you're listening in, you say, well, I don't know if my area is served or unserved. Okay. You can A, go to the map and it can show it shows it by the state of mississippi in total and sally and them have done a great job through their uh, their group to um higherready.net that is doing tremendous reporting for the state to get a really a handle on the data mm-hmm. and um but also you can go to to the website or our website msba.info and do a speed test at your home Mm-hmm. That's through Sally Nim's o- Sally's office, and um, what it does is it runs based upon the number of computers you have in your home, how many people, and it determines if you're served or underserved. And so that's part of this challenge process. So if you have, so if you're listening in today, or even at your office, and you want to go in and find out, hey, do I have? You know, hundred by twenty is which is the federal regulation of of served area. Do I have that at my home or do I have that at my office? You can go to their website and you can actually do the speed test yourself. So to give you an exact number, I, I would not do that because they're still in the process and numbers numbers create friends and enemies. And so I just want to make sure <laughs> that fine. we're reporting it accurately um, and that we want to make sure that we're representing that Sally and the Beam office owns that data. Yeah. And they're doing a great job. But the goal is to utilize this billion dollars of, of money that's coming our way, this grant. The BEAM office then allocates that and approves grants. I assume then that uh, those seeking that funding have to submit an application Absolutely. Right, to the office. It, it, There's it, it, a fairly a, rigorous process. It's a very rigorous process. When it, it, Matter of fact, it is very um, – I, when I say rigorous, I'm gonna say it's almost um, challenging yeah. process, and it, but it's meant to be. Gotcha. It's meant to make yeah, sure it's that intentional. It's intentional to make sure that this just not an arbitrary someone out there that's just not really into it that are just you know trying to fill out some data and trying right. to get a ISP network. Get they want money. to make sure it's some people <laughs> that are really genuinely going to build out networks and also making sure that we're investing that money again in those unserved gotcha. areas across the state. Quinn, appreciate you joining us. Good report. Thanks. Good luck to you with the summit. Absolutely. We thank you for your time. You bet. Quinn Jordan, Executive Director of the Mississippi Broadband Association, has been our guest on Middays. We're taking a break right back in the Element Wealth Studios. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. Kevin and Monticello. I'm not sure what you're talking about there, Kevin. Compare McGee and Mendenhall. Which one is on the bypass? What's he talking about? I know. I think that was a conversation from earlier. Oh, sure is. My bad. I went too far down. My bad. I thought he was talking about the broadband discussion. My my apologies for that. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> Representative Banks should have listened to your show. A prime example where tax avoidance is legal, but evasion is not. So you know about Representative Banks? You want to fill in the folks on that, uh, Rhino? Do you see that? I've only seen the headline. I didn't read the story. I mean, there's not a lot of detail in it at this point, but apparently State Representative Banks has, uh, I want to make sure I, I get it right, has he been charged with felony tax evasion, I think, huh? Is uh, I don't think he's been, he hasn't been convicted of it at this point. But this is um, State Representative from the Jackson area. And uh, this broke late yesterday, as I recall. He's been in he's been in office for quite some time, and it's the allegation is that he made a false statement on a tax return for allegedly failing to report more than five hundred thousand dollars of income from the twenty eighteen sale of real estate. This, by the way. Made it, uh, of course, to the AP. It's making some national buzz. And uh, so he looked like he got a little problem. Democrat Representative Earl Banks of Jackson. And so he's agreed to waive indictment and be prosecuted on the charge. I guess trying to strike a, a plea deal is what that looks like. So this is these are federal charges. This is federal Tax evasion. Been in the House since 1993. Is a funeral director and an attorney. So the document essentially shows that he claimed gross adjusted income of 38 grand, but he had $500,000 from the sale of real estate. Conviction of felony charges, of course, in Mississippi disqualifies one from holding office. I want to say there are a couple exceptions, and if I'm not mistaken, federal tax problems is one of the exceptions. It is. And can you explain that? What's the rationale for that? Oh, if you commit felony tax fraud, come on in. You can run for office. What's up with that? I imagine, without actually knowing, just putting together pieces, it could be something to do with states' rights, considering the time at which the Constitution was written, or it could be dealing with the interactions between people who might have been alive during the Confederacy. Yeah. That's weird. But it I is guess weird. So. It, it seems, just seems a little odd as a carve-out exception. I mean, do you want folks commit uh, convicted of felony tax fraud serving in the legislature? Man, 93, since 93. Other news in the state of Mississippi, 
This actually occurred late Monday. Yet another hospital exits the Mississippi Hospital Association, citing concerns over leadership. This is the fifth. Is there going to be a Mississippi Hospital Association? Because associations are comprised of members with common interests. That's the idea. They're running out of members. Now, there's still plenty more, of course, that are in the system, but some pretty big ones have parted ways with the MHA. Of course, the first University of Mississippi Medical Center, and then that was followed by Singing River River, pardon me, Health System, Memorial Hospital in Gulfport, now Forest General. Well, this is four of the five, total five, that have exited are among the top ten largest in the state. The letter addressed to the MHA from the CEO of Forest General, CEO is R. Andy Woodard, the letter said, in light of recent events and after careful thought and consideration, this termination shall be effective immediately. Now, I don't know if the recent events, by the way, did not specify what Forest General is referring to. I'm looking at a copy of the letter. It's very short. I mean, it's a single paragraph, subject being termination of membership. And it is addressed to the chairman of the board and the head of the MHA, Tim Moore, he's been on the program many times, was on with Paul last week, and it basically says, hey, we're terminating. Without any reasons behind that notice of termination. It's uh, an, uh, an interesting series of events, I would say. Now, it's no secret, I don't think. Folks, you probably are aware that the Mississippi Hospital Association saw fit to enrich the Brandon Presley campaign to the tune of $250,000. Now, they also gave $50,000 to Jim Hood in the 2019 election cycle. And I, I think it's safe to say, and of course maybe we need to get Tim on the program on this program and we'll ask him the question, but I think it's safe to say that the MHA has probably been the most outspoken proponent, cheerleader for Medicaid expansion. The governor, Tate Reeves, of course, has indicated repeatedly his opposition to such, whereas his likely opponent, the likely matchup in the general election, would see the governor taking on the Democrat Brandon Presley, the present public service commissioner for the Northern District, who has indicated strong support for Medicaid expansion. It's a distinction. And I, to a great extent, agree with with Thomas, who says, you know, that's the main thing that pushed Tate over Waller. I think there's some truth to that. 
I think a lot of people found that objectionable uh, in in order to support Waller, and that uh, proved to be true in the final analysis in the primary. So I don't think there's any secret there. And the governor has uh, very specific reasons as to why he opposes Medicaid expansion. He's discussed that. Um, so it's hard to say whether or not, you know, that $250,000 contribution was the pivotal event. It could have been just the straw that broke the camel's back. I just can't believe that, oh my gosh, MHA gave 250 k we're out. I, I think it just feels like, you know, a decision like that, something you've been a part of for so long that, that it's been building up to that. And let's be honest, most hospitals do support Medicaid expansion. So I don't think that's the issue. I think maybe the Maybe, and I'm speculating. This is I'm just offering opinion here. Let me be clear. Maybe, maybe the MHA is engaged a little too much in political campaigns. And that, now, look, associations do that. That's and that's what you pay your membership dues to to for them to combine those funds. Usually, have a pack and contribute to, donate to a candidate that most closely aligns with and supports your issues, your policies. Or is it just bad optics when you have hospitals in danger of closing down and the hospital association makes a 5X donation to a political candidate? You could be right. And I think that, uh, I think like you, um, you're indicating there, I, I like many people, I was a little surprised to see just how financially well off, shall we say the hospital association is that was a little surprising to see the assets they yeah, have if you can if you can afford that why why do we have to have these issues that we're having i agree at least that's in the minds of some yeah i, I agree and so I, I do think that there are significant problems that the hospitals in the state are facing financial economic primarily that medicaid expansion might address somewhat but it's certainly no It solving. is odd that hospitals are campaigning for a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Yeah. I they wouldn't use that in the case of an actual bullet wound. I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think that issues are much deeper than that, and, and there needs to be some discussion around something that's a lot more extensive than just Medicaid expansion. So coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. A little too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering now. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high We are back in the Element Well Studios. It is middays. After the break, Gordon Thames, real estate developer, president of Arbor Properties, will join middays. So, this, yeah, this Mississippi Hospital Association deal, it's a lot happening in a short period of time. Uh, just 
Unexpected. Didn't see it coming, honestly. First, the $250,000 donation. I didn't quite see that coming, that level. And then UMC, rather abruptly. I say abruptly because there was, I saw no hint of that on the horizon. And then now some yeah, other... There hadn't been any rumblings or scuttlebutt or backroom conversations that leaked. Right. And you would expect that, which tells you that this was a decision made in very close quarters with decision makers, by decision makers. So, and then you got some others following suit. My guess is every hospital in the state now is having a discussion about this. How could you not when you see what well, we say that four of the five that have exited are in the top ten in terms of size in the state? Well, of course, you, you would think those others in the association that remain in the association trying to find out, does this make sense for us? You know, what do they know maybe that we don't? Because their needs are fairly common. Uh, across the membership. So we shall see. Rusty says a billion dollars is a bigger band-aid than a hundred million. What's he mean by that? Hypocrisy, goes on to say. What did I miss there? Moe says, like you, this is speculation. It may have been that they think the money could have been better spent. You're talking about the 250000 Mo's that they gave? Seems yeah. like it. Yeah, it, this could be. Uh, and that's why I, I guess I'm saying that maybe they feel they're getting a little too cozy politically. I mean, certainly when you think about public policy that affects them, honestly, most of which comes from the federal government, the exception being the fact that the state does have the authority uh, to run not only run the Medicaid program in accordance with federal guidelines, but it has the authority to expand Medicaid or not. And so that, but other than that, most of what affects them really comes from the federal level. Okay, he's referring to the $100 million we gave hospitals this session versus Medicaid expansion, Thompson Greenwood says. Well, that'd be true, and that's also, let's be clear, that's $100 million one-time money as opposed to $1 billion every year. So that's the, that's the way that works. I, I say again, and I, and I say it with all seriousness, would there, should there be a move in the state to exit base Medicaid? Just exit that program altogether. Because expansion literally expands the existing program in terms of dollars uh, by a little less than 20%. So that means that if we did, 80% of the program roughly would consist of the existing Medicaid in Mississippi, and 20% would be the new coverage group that would be added, and that's able-bodied adults whose income is less than 138% of the federal poverty level. I say again that I think the government should really be taking a very hard look at the adjustments to the Affordable Care Act, to coverage that is sold in the exchanges, 
which were implemented in the Inflation Reduction Act, the dumbest name bill of all time, because it makes private coverage, albeit limited choices, still private coverage in the state of Mississippi, across the country, obviously, because it's federal law, available to able-bodied adults whose income is less than 150%, 150%, not 138%, which is what Medicaid covers, for zero-cost premiums. Now, you do have out-of-pocket costs, co-pays, deductibles. That maxes at $3,000 a year, but maybe that's an idea. It's something I've talked about on the program many times, including to members of the legislature. I think I even talked about it to Commissioner Mike Cheney. But, you know, it was temporary when we talked about it, and... As you recall, Rhino, most of the subjects we talked to weren't even familiar with it. It's kind of buried in the American Rescue Plan and then got made permanent in the Inflation Reduction Act. Why aren't we seeking that as an alternative? That cost the state virtually nothing unless the state pitched in and said, okay, we're going to help offset the cost of the uh, out-of-pocket costs the price of the out-of-pocket cost to make it essentially equivalent to zero-cost Medicaid. It's time for a break, and Fox News, Super Talk News is up next. Gordon Thames, a real estate developer, president of Arbor Properties in the Element Well Studios, right after that. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays. We are, of course, live in the Element Wealth Studios on this. Hump day. Yes, we are. Joining us now, Gordon Thames, real estate developer, president of Arbor Properties. Gordon, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me here. All right, Gordon, tell us a little bit about your connection to the great state of Mississippi. You are a resident of Florida, correct? Yes, I live in Tallahassee, Florida, but we started working back in the late 80s on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, building uh, mainly luxury rental apartment communities, and then got uh, have been doing that almost nonstop. It, it now represents probably 40 45% of our overall business investment. Really? And, uh, and of course, got very involved after the Hurricane Katrina. We built and rebuilt more units in Harrison County after Katrina than anybody else in the nation. And, uh, you know, so we considered a second home, really. It's uh, uh, like one of our company slogans on a shirt is where the living's easy. And I like to think I kind of <laughs> got that here in Mississippi, you know, because it's living on the coast is very nice, very easy pace of life. And that, I think that's why it's attractive. Yeah. And uh, we like to go where people want to be. So you got a big project that you're working on right now on the coast, right? Tell us yeah, about that. The, uh, we bought – it financially failed, went into foreclosure. But we bought the old Great Southern Golf Course, which I'm told was one of the 19 oldest golf courses in the country. Woodrow Wilson, Sam Snead, a lot of other people played there a long, long time ago. But unfortunately, after Katrina, you got a combination of what Mother Nature did – and some bad business decisions, I think, by people that were running the club. And uh, it fell by the wayside like a lot of older golf courses in this country. Uh, 
And so the opportunity presented itself. It's a beautiful piece of property. sits right between Gulfport and Biloxi, uh, about 1,100 feet right on the Gulf of Mexico. And in our game, we want to build where people want to be, and we think that's uh, going to be a great spot. Well, it, it's a great location, uh, obviously, right there on the beach, and, and um, would just be a fantastic development. And it's kind of sad to see that it's just been sitting idle for a while, right? Yes, and permitting is, uh, even though I say where the living's easy, anytime you bring change, there are a lot of neighbors, sometimes they call them NIMBYs, whatever. Uh, I would like to ascribe benevolently that they're afraid of the change or they don't understand it, but they make all sorts of allegations about this change is going to be bad because, you know, environmental, traffic, the usual things you hear. The reality is I think it's going to raise their real estate values, and you're going to build new storm-resistant gold-standard homes that are needed on the coast to inject, give young people that move to the coast. I mean, one thing I repeatedly say, and people down there understand, I say, tell me again why you moved to the coast. Did it have anything to do with that word coast? Because you can go north of I-10 and get housing that looks like what we have here in Jackson. Sure. But uh, we think it'll be a positive development, and I think one of our big markets – You've got a lot of people with excess equity in older homes built in the 70s around there that are sitting ducks for hurricane-type. They just weren't built with the same modern tie-down systems and windows and things that have been developed today to make homes very storm-resistant. So we actually think we'll get a number of people that will, you know, sell old Betsy, so to speak, and move into something that's newer, easier to keep. And, frankly, their equity will appreciate faster in it, I believe, because – a new modern storm-resistant home, I think, is going to be more valuable than than an older one that perhaps has just been lucky through a few storms. So, what's the status, Gordon? What do you got to get done? What what remains before shovels go into the ground? Well, we are uh, have worked through a lawsuit that was filed by three neighbors and gotten that successfully uh, dismissed, and we are now working with MDEQ because several people complained that you know arsenic's a trace element common in all. South Mississippi soils, hmm. and they also allege that when they did a golf course, this place was a golf course for basically the last hundred years, and right. they say some of the fertilizers contain trace amounts of arsenic. Well, we're working through this with MDEQ with a protocol that will hopefully be satisfactory hmm. to reassure people that you know the levels of what's there is no more than a, what you'd find if you went and dug a hole 100 yards down the way. Hmm. Interesting. So would it have been a problem if it just continued to operate as a golf course? Does that not also pose some sort of environmental risk? Yeah, it it probably would. You know, let me rephrase it this way. The neighbors had no problem with it when it was a golf course. Right. And several of them that got hostile and threatened to sue said, well, if you'll build homes on three-acre lots, then I'll shut up and go away. So they don't re- – in my view huh. – it's not a real concern to you if all of a sudden you build a million-dollar home and it's not an issue. Yeah. But you're building a home real people can afford at 400000 and they got their lips stuck out and don't like that idea. Interesting. Do you think that's because they, they don't see that as, as really, uh, I guess, triggering any appreciation in their property, that they'd rather have the more expensive property on three-acre lots that they feel like would really pull up their property? Yes, I I think that's part of their perspective, and part of it is, and, and, you know, some of them look like your mother, your grandmother, they're they're older, they don't, they're a little afraid of change, resistant to it, so I think you've got a mix of that, 
with the property values, and then you have a few people that just want to tell you how to do it. So you got a, a room full of folks that have different agendas, but it's not unnatural because someone that owns a home is one of their be- bigger assets, so right. they're going to, in their mind, try to do what they can to protect the value of that asset, right? And is, right. Is is the entire property located in the city of Gulfport? It is. There's, okay. You know, originally it was developed on a front half, which is the part we're developing now okay. initially. And then later the golf course was expanded and went over the railroad tracks and is actually a larger parcel on the back half. And we have not sought one zoning change. It was already zoned okay. for single-family homes on 7,500 acres. So, I mean, 7,500 square feet. Yeah. So uh, lots, and our lots are that or larger. And we haven't asked the city of Gulfport for one change in the way of zoning or regulation or anything like that. Well, that leads me to my next question. How receptive have the, the city has the city been? I think the city fathers and officials are more receptive, but they also live in a political world, so they are hearing it from uh, their voters, their constituents. Ab- absolutely, the and, right? and arguably that's what they ought to – they're elected sure. to – kind of do what's good for the community, but they need to listen to all the input. So I, I don't – I think they're actually doing a pretty good job. You know, I, I can speak a little bit from a, a similar experience uh, in my hometown of Ridgeland, where I think most people in Mississippi are familiar with a 13-story building there on I-55 that's got Butler Snow written up on it in mm-hmm. regions. And I, that was just um, raw land that had deer running around on it uh, not so long ago. And there was lots of objections to that. And this sounds very similar to the objections. None of that actually came to fruition. In fact, I think everybody would agree now that originally objected, yeah, it's been a pretty good deal. So I even heard there were people that uh, came to some of the hearings that complained that it was going to project light into the sky at night. There's some society, Society of the Darks, Protection of the Dark Sky or something like Rhino, I bet you're familiar with that, something like that. And they came and squawked about, oh, you're going to ruin the dark sky. I said, dude, you can drive like two miles away and it's dark as can be. So... um, and you can put a hood on the street light, oh, and something that kind like of that. Thing, so. Yeah, but it, it's uh, been a uh, honestly, it's been a fantastic development. I think most people would agree for the the city and uh, residents. I, I'm just referring to that because it sounds similar in no, nature. It, I, I, I would agree with you because this is, in in our view, it's all positive and win win for the city monetarily. You're going to have 475 homes there that. You know, if you had to put an average price on them by the time we get to the end of it, and who knows what's happening with inflation and insurance rates have doubled. Right. But it'll be modern. It'll be nice. It'll be very attractive, kind of like some of the developments in Fairhope and other places. And your place, if if you're not growing, I hate to say you're dying, but the city in that part is kind of old. Yeah. And when young people move to the coast, people, they want to have children want to stay. Where are they going to move to? Some of these people uh, would prefer a vacant piece of land, but it's not going to stay vacant forever. And what better than a fine single-family neighborhood that's nice, new, modern, storm-resistant, and, you know. And And this would, I think, uh, Gordon, stimulate investment in uh, more residential development as well as commercial development, which is all good for everybody. Absolutely. In our country right now, uh, there's a supply and demand imbalance in your housing. You know, there's more demand for housing than yeah. than houses are available. Prices so we're, up as a result. we're trying to help with that. Most everything we build, 
whether we rent it or sell it nowadays, is rent it or sold before the paint's dry. Gotcha. And that's not because I'm a magic man. It's just your your supply demands and sure. it is point of imbalance. Yeah. And uh, I think it's good for Mississippi, the coast. Uh, it, you know, they ran an article recently in the Wall Street Journal. It featured the Alabama coast, but it featured a number of people that had retired and moved there because they didn't want the congestion or the price didn't suit them over in Destin or other people parts of Florida. People are looking for it. Yep. So, Got it. Gordon, appreciate you coming in. Thanks for the information. Good luck on the project. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Gordon Thames, real estate developer, president of Arbor Properties, has been our guest here on uh, Middays in the Element Well Studios. Coming right back. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. The great three dog night. Here we are in the Element Well Studios. It's middays. We appreciate you joining us today. So, uh, sounds like an interesting project there on uh, the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We should embrace. We should embrace investment into our state. Especially coming from someone who's a developer from out of state. That's just good. And sees the value of making such investments in our state. And understands what would make living here attractive versus other states, other areas. That's fantastic. We should embrace that. So I hope we get that done. And I I certainly don't want to cause any problems for the residents that are concerned about it. I understand their concerns, and I think... Mr. Thames is right. A lot of times it's just it's just change and the the concern of, of disruption and the unknown. I, I get that. I, I promise you, though, the same thing happened with this Renaissance thing that you don't hear about today, but whenever this was going on 20 years ago, maybe. It's been a while. And, I, and of course, I lived out, like I said, close to that area. And I remember, Rhino, there was a group of residents, mainly females, in my subdivision, which is not far from the development there, that were making the rounds, literally knocking on doors, because there were hearings, public hearings, and they were trying to drum up opposition to the development. They were advocating against it. (laughs) And so it's probably eight or ten Ladies that lived in the neighborhood, I recognized them. And I happened to be out in my front yard and um, doing some work there. And they said, oh, we're just going to walk by you because they knew I supported it. And so they weren't going to stop and have a conversation. And that's, that's fine. You know, it was, it was cordial. It was respectful. No big, no big deal. But 
when you saw the fear-mongering, it's like, oh my gosh, you think that we're going to build this multi-use development, which is first class, top-notch, maybe the best in the state at at its uh, category, you could argue that. And you see the fear-mongering, it's like, no, and you know what one of them was? Well, they're going to build this 13-story building, which, by the way, originally was 17 stories. The, the compromise was to drop it to 13. And one of the concerns that was repeatedly cited was, well, those businesses are just going to go out of business and and they're going to leave the building empty. And that's a, a concern. Well, that's legitimate, except it's a hundred-year-old law firm that's moving from downtown. I don't think so. That's going to invest a whole bunch. And at the time, it was uh, Horn, CPA, had a significant number of floors. And, uh, and then, of course, Regents, Big Bank. I mean, those were the main tenants. This is about as low risk a, a category, an assortment, of businesses, of occupants, as you could have in a new development. So it turns out that it's been pretty stable in that respect. Uh, but but I get it. People are just worried about about change, and they you know it's fear of the unknown. And I'm sensitive to that. I'm not I'm not downplaying those concerns. But uh, I've had a couple people on the ceasefire text line act yep. like it's low-income housing being built. No. He said $400,000 single-family homes. Right. Which is not low-income. That's low out income. of my price range. I don't think that's low-income in Mississippi. It's above the, the national average, and Mississippi's average home price is far below the national average. So I don't think that's the case. Uh, yeah, commercial and residential development are, are two totally different things. Sure. I get that. Uh, but, I mean, so what do we do? Just quit building housing? You know what happens when you do that? Price goes up. That's what, that's what he just said. It's what's happening now. It's exactly what's happening now. And uh, and what that's also forcing is people to rent. And if you've been paying attention, in fact, the CPI report was out today. The category that had the largest increase, rent. Other things are moderating, not rent. And that's just a demand and supply. And that's why you got lots of the large cities, blue cities across the country, implementing all sorts of dang rent control and housing price thresholds, rental, talking about rental property, which I disagree with. That's just government meddling in the market. Oh, man. So uh, I'll have to say that, you know, I I support these sorts of developments. And and I think we also have to reflect on the other work that Mr. Thames and Arbor Properties have done. All that's been very positive. Yeah, I mean, we got a text on the ceasefire text line from Cedric. Cedric from Dito. Or Cedric from Dito. Okay. I've worked with Gordon's team on a couple of projects. He runs a first-class operation. I've heard the say. I checked it out um, before 
Uh, he came on the program. And, and full disclosure here, guys, I don't have a problem telling this. He was a, You didn't see him. You didn't hear him. He was accompanied by Mr. Carr, who's his CPA. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm not sure of the history of how they got together. Um, but you're going to operate a business in Mississippi. You need, generally speaking, you need some accounting services, public accounting, certified public accounting services from someone in the states. Good idea. And so I happen to know him. And, um, and, and through a friend, I met him a few years ago, a coast friend. And, and that's how I came to be connected to Mr. Thames, knowing he was going to be here. Uh, he's also, by the way, I don't think he'd mind me saying this, he's a, a, a personal contact of Ron DeSantis. They, like, have lunch from time to time. And I think uh, Mr. Thames is, is, is pushing, is eager to see him enter the race, which looks imminent at this point, would you say, based on his actions and activities? I, I, think, it, I think we're then a week of him declared. Maybe. Okay. I still think there's a chance he doesn't throw his hat in the ring, but it's looking more and more likely like he will. And, and if he doesn't, it won't be because he's not making all the correct moves in the right sequence to prepare. It could be he just doesn't, says, not the right time. That's That happens. Oh, yeah. And has a war chest of money, by the way, folks. A war chest. I think he raised over $100 bucks when he ran for governor. Just to put that in contrast in Mississippi, you would lap the field with $10 million to run for governor. Now, I, I get it. Florida's a much bigger state, and it takes more money. Speaking of, speaking of meddling in the private sector, which is probably the thing that grinds my gears, if you haven't noticed more than any, the Biden administration proposing these rules that would apply to airlines absolutely infuriates me. Not that I'm happy, just like any other traveler, when airlines cancel or there are delays and it's avoidable by the airline. If it's weather, what do you do? I've seen, if you've ever been in an airport, I've seen passengers just get irate with workers of the airline because of delays or cancellations based on weather. I mean, what do you want to do? Fly through deadly thunderstorms and get stalled, pushed to the ground by wind shear? No. So I appreciate that they're that they're safe, that they put safety first. Now, if it's because, as is the case with Southwest Airlines, the problems they had not so long ago, totally a function of antiquated systems and their failure to invest and modernize. However, I don't want the government getting involved in that. I don't want Pete Buttigieg telling Southwest how to run. The public, the market, will set them on the right course, or they will fail. That's the way it works. Here's what I think. I think you got debt ceiling, the the Biden family problems that we're getting a lot of exposure on today with Representative Comer's hearing in the U.S. House, and Title 42 tomorrow. I think you got those thing, three things that are 
top of Americans' minds. This is just a detraction. Hey, look over here. We're going to go after those airlines. Title 42 ends tomorrow. There are 80,000 immigrants coming this way from Venezuela, and we're going to talk about flight delays. you got to be kidding me. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios on Midday. Stay with us. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, E W N F. We're just a few months ahead of time, but that's okay. It's good too. Appreciate that, Rhino. You got to play it every once in a while as the system deletes it. <laughs> I got you. We are in the Element Well Studios today, and tomorrow we're going to be at Carter Jewelers broadcasting live from High Street in Jackson. Carter's will be having their Mother's Day annual balloon pop sale, and that'll get you a ton of great deals on Friday. We're headed north to Itawamba Community College in Fulton for the 2023 spring graduation. You'll hear about all the great things going on at ICC. That's Middays Live at Itawamba Community College this Friday. Check in on the markets today. The Dow has been quite uh, active and crossed the unchanged line a few times this morning. Presently down. The NASDAQ, however, up. The news this morning on the CPI. We got the official report there. Came in a little below expectations. The expectation was 5% annualized inflation. CPI came in at 4.9. So it is moderating a bit. And that initially moved the markets to the positive in the green, but the Dow has pulled back. The NASDAQ still in the positive, still in the green. I think there's nervousness, honestly, about this debt ceiling deal. I was concerned when they came out yesterday, and McCarthy really... You had, so you had McCarthy, did a presser, and, and then the president. And they both came out and said, yeah, we didn't get anything done. I really thought that might... That might weigh on investor sentiment today. We'd see a bit of a sell-off, concerns about just the impasse. I I don't think investors believe that ultimately the nation will default on its debt, which would be unprecedented. I think it's more the concern is these guys just can't get along. They can't work together and work it out. I should also share with you that the president, in his speech yesterday, said, My budget cuts wasteful spending, closes loopholes, and does one more thing. It makes the wealthiest Americans and the biggest corporations begin to start, begin to start to pay some of their fair share. Just some of their fair share. That's 
I get so tired of that garbage. I really do. And it's one of those things where I'd, I'd like to ask the question, do you think that the fact that the top 1% in this country account for 42% of total income tax revenue received by the federal government is fair or unfair? Because what you're saying is it's not fair that the top 50% pay 97.5% of the taxes and the bottom 50% pay 2.5%. Yet that's fair? Is this some of this COVID math? <laughs> used to be common core math. Now it's COVID math. No, nah, it's just Democrat math. <laughs> okay. He says, uh, does the president, Speaker McCarthy offered a very different way forward. He's proposed deep cuts that I believe are going to hurt American families. It's always families for maximum impact, isn't it? It's always American families. Well, that and the exaggeration of deep cuts. Deep cuts, true. And millions of Americans relying on Medicaid for their health care would be at risk of losing that. This is not true. It's not true. And he he uh, brags about his budget, including some of, quote, the strongest anti-fraud proposals ever proposed. It strengthens the number of inspector generals. That's what we need more of, inspector generals. Remember, I know some of you covered me with my arguments in the past. Of course, he's addressing the press. Some of you covered me with my arguments in the past, as in news coverage, with the last administration for cutting inspector generals, because Trump did, as to how the money was being spent. And the inspector generals are watchdogs for taxpayer dollars. And it's been estimated that we'd save $10 for every dollar spent on inspector generals. Well, hell, let's just send everybody to inspector general school. <laughs> the magic of the inspector generals. How can you say that with a straight face? And with respect to this saving money, just for perspective, the federal budget, federal spending, not the budget, but federal spending, if you look at going back to 2019, $4.4 trillion, bumps to 6.2. In the next year, 2020, then 6.4, now 6.8. So tell me there, Mr. President, where are the cuts? How can he say that? I mean, this is straight from the Department of Treasury. I didn't make this up. My budget cuts wasteful spending. What specifically? I can tell you exactly how he can say that. Because he has a team of people that put together this nonsense and put it on a piece of paper or a teleprompter, and then he does his level best to read what they wrote, but he doesn't understand a cent of it. That's that's sad. That's sad. 
Unbelievable. Hmm. And, of course, pointing to his predecessor and all that stuff. Meantime, though, we got to go after those airlines for flight delays. <laughs> Unbelievable. Ken from Forrest would like to know just how, just what the dues are for the Mississippi Hospital Association. You know, that's interesting, Ken. I asked that same question of our news department. I didn't ask it, but I was posed that question as something that we should dig into, and perhaps uh, we can get uh, Mr. Moore scheduled to come back on, come on this program, and I'd like to understand that as well. I think that'd be important, and this is because of the news we shared earlier, I guess it's a couple of days old now, that more hospitals are exiting the MHA, total of five now. Four of them are among the biggest ten in the state of Mississippi. So I I think that would be of interest as well. Ben from Madison says, one of the Dems' worst policy nightmares is laissez-faire. There's no doubt about that. They don't believe in the free hand of the market, Ben. That's clear. We, of course... We shared yesterday the, the, the audio from a video captured at a city council meeting in Denver, a city councilwoman who was advocating for increasing taxes on white-owned businesses in the city to redistribute, use the word redistribute. That's essentially a form of socialism, government control of the economy, that certainly that aspect of the economy in the city of Denver, to minority-owned businesses. Also in Colorado, interestingly enough, the Colorado Teachers Union has adopted a resolution where they denounce capitalism. The best I could tell, they intend to teach that in the schools. At the University of Texas in Austin, you remember last week, Rhino, we shared the recommended language guide the uh, in Longhornville out there at the UT, that after it was exposed, it just like magically disappeared from their website. They, of course, are the folks that recommend not using the word women, spelled W-O-M-E-N, but rather they suggest replacing it with W-I-M-M-I-N to remove the men from the word women. Oh, yeah, it's very important. When we come back, (laughs) i got to share with you a little bit about a speech made by a prominent racial activist at the University of Texas uh, just a few days ago. And you'll be shocked to know what she was paid to make this speech. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios for the final segment in Hour 2. Stay with us.
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Two, three, four. Back in the Element Well Studios. Thank you so much for joining us today. So Angela Davis, she was a featured speaker at the University of Texas in Austin, the main campus there. So she was the vice presidential nominee for the Communist Party USA in 1980 was also previously on the FBI's most wanted list, was the keynote speaker at UT Austin's Eric Williams Memorial Lecture. I'm not sure who Eric Williams is. I didn't bother to look it up. She, of course, supports reparations, and she began uh, her lecture by promoting the theory that slavery in the West did not end because of Enlightenment-era ideas about liberty and equality, but simply because industrial capitalists wish to engage in more pernicious racial exploitation. You follow that? Capitalists wanted to end, I guess, the more visible, overt slavery, Now they're just continuing that in a more pernicious fashion, just not as visible. She just wants you to know that. was no longer of service to capitalism, Ms. Davis said. She argued also that capitalism, quote, is at the very core of what we have come to perceive as structural racism. So she's equating capitalism with racism. You know, the economic system where the market determines the amount of and price of cost of goods and services produced, that's the system that she is denouncing and equating to slavery. One where a handful of people in a central government determine the amount and the value of the production of goods and services. Oh, no, they're noble, virtuous, good people. She said that capitalism came to begin, to being, pardon me, through history and will also cease to exist, however that happens, through history. I worry about that every day. I do. I don't want her premonition to become reality. She also said that Jim Crow laws were not really, did not stem from Civil War era white supremacy, but rather they are a product of capitalist Northerners who wish to exploit labor. So she jumps on the what she calls old white planters. <laughs> And the capitalists from the North. Both were involved 
but mostly the latter in the Jim Crow laws. She jumped on DeSantis for keeping critical race theory out of the public school classrooms. She said it ought to be fully integrated into education curricula across the nation. And this is the one that bothers me more than any, honestly, folks. Responding to a question, she responded to a question from a self-described future instructor, future teacher, self-described themselves as unapologetically a communist, abolitionist, feminist, and pro-Palestine. That's who you want teaching your kids. A communist, abolitionist, feminist, and pro-Palestine. And Ms. Davis applauded this individual for seeking to be a teacher. Yeah, that's what we need in our schools. Quote, that is the most important work today, education, meaning we need people like you to indoctrinate and brainwash our children into this nonsense. So I wonder, Rhino, as a feminist, if she aligns with Riley Gaines, the outspoken critic, NCAA All-American swimmer who's been on middays, critic of males competing in female sports. Or does she side with the transgenders? You see the dilemma that they have, which you... Oh, I could pretty easily pick which side she's going to fall down on, because to put the crazy cherry on top of the red communist icing on her cupcake... She was buddy-buddy with Jim Jones. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, folks, the best part of this story, they paid her $25,000 to peddle this garbage. 25000 Wait, that sounds kind of capitalist-like, doesn't it? Is this not rich? It's like Bernie getting paid for his anti-capitalist book. Time for Fox News and Super Talk News coming right back. Stay with us. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Wealth Studios on this hump day. We thank you so much for joining us. Carter Jewelers tomorrow and then up to Itawamba Community College on Friday. That's where middays will be setting up shop for the next couple of days. I'll be on the road a bit on the ceasefire tax line. The Renaissance development that I was discussing earlier, that's here in Ridgeland or close by is a lot different than the 450 housing development in a crime-ridden city. Commercial and real estate development, residential, pardon me, development are two totally different things. So uh, I hear you. Uh, The only point I was making was that 
there was a whole lot of fear-mongering associated with the prospect of the Renaissance development, none of which happened. That's all I'm saying. That was the only comparison I was making. I wasn't trying to suggest that residential development and commercial development are tantamount. Didn't say that. I just remember the people from the Society for the Dark Sky coming to the the, the, uh, town hall hearing. By the way, I was ostracized at that hearing because I was among the few that were in support of it. They knew about the letter I wrote and everything else. I'm not sure if I said that on the air. I actually wrote a letter in support of it. It got published, and it got read and consumed, and that's fine. I just expressed my opinion. By the way, I didn't get paid anything to do that. I make no money off of any of that. I got no personal financial interest in any of that whatsoever. So it's not like I'm the developer that's advocating for this. I just like to see good investment in economic development projects in our state. That was it. And I feel the same way about this. So this person says, you support it, Gerard, because it's not being built in your neighborhood. That's just not true. Renaissance was built in my neighborhood. Other neighborhoods are being built around my neighborhood right now. There's a what was a beautiful field that I pass by every day that's adjacent to my neighborhood. About a year ago, it was sold for development. And houses are under construction, which, by the way, are beautiful houses. They're nice houses. But they're less in value than the average houses in my adjacent neighborhood. So it's just not true. You don't know is the point. New residential neighborhoods in Gulfport typically decline over time. That's typical across the country. Okay, so what does that mean? We just quit building? This just quit residences? <laughs> What's the point there? No more houses. Just live on the streets. Because if you do, they're going to go down. I'm not following that logic. I'm seeing you shaking your head. I'm struggling with that one. Let's just well, give the, up. The second half of the statement defeats the point of the first half of the statement when you say that's typical across the country. So let's just quit building yeah, houses. So just no more houses. Man, can you spell economic collapse? A lot of people make a living off the housing industry. In fact, the biggest concern is we ain't producing enough people that need houses. That's a much larger concern from an economic perspective. Elon Musk has warned about this numerous times. We're running out of workers. That's what he says. We're showing that to be the case now. Our population is aging, retiring. We're not propagating. We're not multiplying. And I know we beat that horse up. Japan? You see what's happening over there? It's insane. China retirement age workers working two and three menial jobs because it's all they can get and it's all they can do, but they've got to have three of them to make it make ends meet. Yeah. And you need young people in the workforce. It's just the way it works to essentially support economically. I don't mean just write checks to them, but I mean it 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 um, propels the economy. It perpetuates the economy. Because you get to a point where you just physically can't work, physically or mentally. I mean, and, and honestly, I think everybody should be able to retire with some degree of dignity and live out their final years without the pressures of work. I think most people aspire to that. Think about that. 
Nothing wrong with that. So, yeah, the question was, do I remember PERS is able to withhold benefits of Mr. Banks if he is convicted of a felony? This is from Randy Rogers in Ocean Springs. It seems like I have come across that before, uh, Rhino, but um, I, I didn't look it up. We Maybe we can find that. Uh, and, and yeah, that seems, seems reasonable to me that they should. I guess the problem you'd have there, though, now that I think about it, Randy, is that if you're in PERS, you paid a lot of money into it. So what should happen there? Should PERS just keep that, give it to other people, even if you committed a crime? So that's a bit of a problem. The... You know, I could see where the taxpayer-funded portion of it, which is roughly two-thirds relative to the employee contribution portion, which is roughly a third, I could see where that might make sense, but I don't know. Um, I'd have to think about that. And I'm not, I'm not sure. I know you're looking for it, Rhino. We'll see what we find out. So on the ceasefire text line... Always funny that when reading Biden quotes, there's a different voice being used. Yeah, I like to do that and have fun. Is that a problem? Is that, I mean, it's just having fun. That's all it is. Uh, you know what I'd say? Get your own show. Use all the voices you want. I, I, focusing on that's like Joe focusing on airlines when we're about to default on the debt and 80,000 Venezuelans are headed this way. And he's got problems with his family and all sorts of impropriety, financial impropriety. But yet he's going after the airlines. That's kind of what this is. Focus on the content is what I would advise this individual on the ceasefire text line. What of the content did you find objectionable, such as when Joe constantly makes this point that just begin to start to begin to start to pay their begin to start fair share. Do you do you find me being critical of that, objectionable? And the, probably the more appropriate question, which is what I'd like to ask the president if I had the opportunity and the privilege to interview him. What's fair share? You, give me that in mathematical terms. You'll never get an answer on that, by the way. Give me what that is. Keith and Vaden says, don't let them idiots get under your skin, Gerard. And just to, to let you appreciate that, Keith, I, I don't. It doesn't get under my skin. I promise. I, I like to have fun with it on the show. That's it. And I, I think it kind of makes for, passes the time and makes for some in, engaging conversation. That's what we try to do, which is why I try to get to your texts, read them, respond, weigh in, exchange, give you a voice as well, let you express your views. It's all good. Johnny McComb says, you do a good job of miming him the way he lectures people when he speaks publicly. And he, and he does. And it is kind of a condescending tone and 
inflection and approach? No. Democrats being <laughs> condescending? No. And you may think I'm doing From that with him. their self-appointed moral high ground? No. <laughs> By the way, I've, I've looked through the entirety yeah. of the Purrs of Mississippi member handbook. Okay. All 70-some-odd pages. I've, I've scanned what I could. I've searched. I've looked. I don't see anything about withholding retirement in PERS for any reason. Yeah, and the more, while it may sound reasonable on the surface, the more I think about it, it, it would not make sense, and nor do I think I could support it, given that the individual has contributed to it. Their personal money went in there. I don't think it'd be fair, even if they committed a crime, to say, I'm sorry, you can't have your money back. And then it just goes to the other members of PERS. I don't think that would be fair. Uh, and honestly, let's be honest here. Let's think about it. He got bigger problems than PERS at this point. When you think about felony tax fraud, federal felony tax fraud, that's a much bigger problem. And I guess you could take some degree of comfort in seeing that the law was applied without regard, in this case, for the physical characteristics of the individual in question and their party affiliation. I worry about that. What are we seeing happen with Joe Biden, as an example? They're calling it Judgment Day, by the way. Comer was just on the screen live. They've just unveiled details of all his foreign business deals. I think it's pretty damning. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Please stay with us. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. It's midday. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? As we're speaking about that, do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow now down 250 points. I think uh, traders are concerned about the debt ceiling deal. It has just been announced that... President Biden and lawmakers will reconvene this Friday to uh, continue the discussion about what to do as the debt clock ticks away $31,738,143,446,000. It's going too fast now. I can't keep up with it. Because it's astronomical. That's $94,000 per person, by the way, is what that computes out to be. It is insane, and there is no interest that I can tell and get serious about it. Just based on what we shared from Joe Biden's remarks, he's bragging about how much he cut. It's unbelievable. I cut the deficit. 
by $1.7 trillion from the final COVID year, 2020. Absolutely true. But he's not telling you it's already just under a trillion for the first six months of this year. And the CBO now says it's going to come in at about $1.75 trillion. Then what are you going to say, Joe? You can't say that anymore because it won't be true. Not only that, that would represent an increase of about $400 billion from 22 to 23 under your watch. But you're telling everybody how great you are in terms of fiscal responsibility. What a joke that is. The only options they will, they being the Democrats, will accept in reducing, in an effort to reduce the deficit, is increasing taxes. That's the only thing they will accept. As far as they're concerned, there's nothing in the $6.2 trillion of spending that can be touched. Nothing. They might get on board with cutting defense somewhat, but Republicans say that's off limits. Mm. Speaking of retirement, something that I would like to encourage everyone in Mississippi to to do with it being election year. Talk to every candidate about their plans for PERS. Ask them, what's your plan? What do I mean by that? PERS has got financial problems. It's got financial solvency problems. And the government is on the hook to those in the program, either receiving benefits or enrolled as an active member, anticipating future benefits. And it's just like Social Security. It's a defined benefit plan, meaning you get benefits till you die, no matter how much you paid in. You get benefits till you die. If you receive much more out than you put in, even with some interest or investment gains applied to it, doesn't matter. You still get it out because it's a defined benefit plan. Does it work like a defined contribution plan? The typical 401k, for example, which is that's how much money you got. When you spend all that, you're done. You get no more. That's not the way defined benefit plans work. You receive benefits until you were no longer breathing to receive them. So you either got to increase the amount going in, decrease the amount going out, or a combination of the two. Every single candidate for either the legislature or for state offices and the lawmaker, as a lawmaker, that would be the governor and lieutenant governor, should be thinking about how they would address it. And communicate to the people, to the voters. What's your plan? Why is this important to the voters? Because the taxpayer-funded aspect of PERS falls upon your shoulders financially. The The contribution, the employer contribution, is funded by the taxpayers. That's all the various public sector agencies 
that employ the people that will that do participate in PERS. So it's I think important that we all ask. I feel like all too often we get tied up in the abstract. You know what I'm saying? We 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 uh, we and, and those things are important. I'm not saying they're they they aren't, but they don't they don't solve these problems that are real, that are imminent, that require solutions, and that could affect us all, positively or negatively. So. Everyone, I think, running for office should be prepared to answer that question. What's your plan for PERS? You're going to raise taxes? You're going to decrease benefits? You're going to create a new tier? What's your plan? Ignore it? It's pretty much what we've been doing with Social Security and Medicare. We're just ignoring it. And the warning signs, of course, have have been highlighted and repeated. I should say the warnings, not the warning signs, that have been Made known, but man, you even start talking about it. Incredible. Look no further than France. I mean, they about burned the whole dang country down because they wanted to increase the retirement age from 62 to 64. And those who poured into the streets in a rather riotous fashion, I just like to ask them, what do you want to do? It's going broke. You either got to do something to preserve it. Maybe that something is you got to delay retirement to the ancient age of 64 or nobody gets anything. I mean, that literally is the choice. Just print money out of thin air. Speaking of that, Gavin Newsom in California, you know, we shared the story about the panel that he created to study reparations to black folks in California. They made their final decision. Well, I should say, not final. They issued a draft proposal, which is, I think, headed for finality, that would pay $1.2 million to every black person in the state of California. And there are some, there are some criteria, but in general, it's everyone. Gavin Newsom says, not so fast. How about that? You know why? Because he don't know where the hell to come up with the $800 billion to pay it. Even he is taken a bit back by this. And you saw many of the attendees at the public hearing of the panel say, if you don't support reparations, we cannot support you. They have issued an edict. Who has the leverage in the debt ceiling drama, asks Johnny in West Point. I don't know that any party does, Johnny, honestly. you you, you got to have both. I, what do you think, Rhino? I would say it's pretty even, but the Democrats have more leverage because they have more votes. The only thing I would say that does work some to some degree in favor of the Republicans is not the fact that they passed a bill in the House, which I applaud them for. It is a plan. But... Senator Mike Lee, of course, organized an effort and got a letter signed by 43 senators, Republican senators, that said, we're not going to sign off on raising the debt ceiling without some serious reforms in spending, which I, I applaud as well. 
And you should know that both Mississippi senators did also sign that letter. And why is that important? Because you've got to have 60 votes in the Senate to end the filibuster to proceed with the legislation that would, in fact, increase the debt ceiling. So you've got to essentially support in the, in the House by two votes, you recall, 219, 217. Uh, no, it wasn't that, because that's more than they have. It was two. It was a two-vote delta. I don't remember the exact count. I don't think that's right. I think it's two-something to two-something, but it was two-vote delta. But in the Senate now, you've got 43 Republican senators saying, you got to have at least nine of us here to, to peel off, and you don't have it to get it through the Senate, so you're in trouble. Um, Mr. President, what are you going to do? Oh, they're going to get back on it on Friday. Gary and Meridian says the problem that we have, people who want a job don't want to work. People desire a $15 an hour job but have a $3.50 per hour work ethic. Some truth to that, no doubt. Coming right back, half an hour left in the Element Well Studios on Midday. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. A migrant flood is expected tomorrow when Title 42 ends. Looking at some video, live video in the studio at the border, it's ridiculous. But Mallorca says the border is closed. Nobody can come in. It's incredible. The Dow has now fallen even further, down 306 points. Traders are nervous. Mike and Corinth says, don't people realize trickle-down works whether Dems or Republicans are in office? When it's Dems, all these taxes trickle down. Businesses work on margin, and they pass that cost down. Without government takeover, this would never work. I think Mike's talking about this uh, widespread embrace of socialism and the speaker at the University of Texas in Austin a short uh, week or so ago, who came to campus to denounce capitalism and got 25000 bucks for doing it. Unbelievable. How can I get that gig? I don't get that when I promote capitalism. I get zero. Something's wrong with that picture, right? You talk bad about capitalism, they give you twenty-five grand. You talk positive about it, as I did last week, up at my alma mater, and you don't get anything. <laughs> you got socks. I did get socks. You're so right. <laughs> By the way, I don't want anything. Let me be clear. I'm just making a point here, trying to show the irony. I did get socks and a shirt. I had a shirt on. You see my old Miss Accountancy shirt? It's pretty cool. And a, uh, a notepad as well, with uh, leather bound with the old Miss Accountancy. Very proud of the school, the students, the faculty. A um, certainly refreshing and a bright spot. Very proud. Yeah, I hear you, Mike. No, they don't. 
they think it's totally unfair, that the system is rigged, that it oppresses. I mean, they just go down the litany. Unfortunately, uh, and and they're, uh, the president and the Democrats, a trickle down just didn't really work because the rich got richer and the, those at the bottom end of the income spectrum, well, they're still at the bottom. Right. They have the same opportunity. That's all you're entitled to. An opportunity and the opportunity to work your rear off. That's what you're entitled to. Nothing else, though. I don't owe you anything except the freedom that I hope we preserve and protect to pursue those opportunities. We're, I will say this as well, and, I, and I've passed this on to young people. Don't count other people's money. If you're obsessed with other people's money, as the Democrats seem to be, in my view, you're going to either not succeed or fall way short of your potential. Don't count other people's money. Forget about it. The Care. only time you should ever look into another person's bowl is to make sure they have enough. Good point. Agree. You shared with me that video yesterday. You want to talk about what that was? Oh, yeah. There was, a, I guess, a social experiment conducted on the streets of New York City where they set up a card table and they had basic groceries, like they had some bags of flour and some cartons of milk and different things like that, with a sign that said, free food if you need it. And the first five, six people walk up, oh, look, oh, I could really use this. And they grab like one carton of milk and walk off. And then two folks walk up and grab as much as they can carry laughing about it and just before them as i recall was someone in a in a mechanized wheelchair disabled person who took just a, a, a minimal amount a tiny bit and clearly was in need but these other two people oh no with well, the stupid, expensive designer jackets on and the stupid masks on too right of course the virtue signaling masks Carolyn Starkville says, what is unbelievable is that we have a president with dementia sitting in the White House. Yeah, I hear you, Carol, and you guys have probably seen the news. It didn't go very well in court for Donald Trump yesterday either. A New York jury found Mr. Trump sexually abused Gene Carroll. This was in a civil suit. Said he was not liable for rape, but was liable for sexual abuse and defamation. But that's jur- hard to wrap my head around because the defamation was precluded on him denning that she'd been raped by him. Yeah, I'm not so sure I'm so on if board. He wasn't that. liable for the rape. How is he liable for the defamation saying he didn't rape her? I agree. That seems a little weird. Five but million in fairness, bucks. he didn't do himself any favors with that deposition. Did not. I agree. I totally agree. Gosh, can we just get somebody that doesn't have some baggage hanging around their neck like that? And then Representative George Santos, Rod in the Delta, sent that in as well. I had that on the list to discuss today. You know who he is, the the uh, representative in New York, of the U.S. House of Representatives. I believe flipped is one of the seats that flipped, right, in New York. I think so, yeah. From um, Democrat to Republican. And Mr. Santos, uh, of course, seems to be a habitual liar. 
And uh, federal prosecutors filed criminal charges against George Santos. You know, he lied about his employment experience. Yeah, that's two of the, uh, well, it may not be two charges, it may just be one charge, but it's two things in the paperwork that was released. Unemployment checks for about 500 bucks. Right. They say he falsified some of his campaign finance reports that Santos says he he's unaware of the charges. <laughs> <laughs> of course he's not. Oh, my gosh. He's 34 years old. And, I mean, his election was integral to the Republicans attaining a narrow majority in the House. By the way, that vote, I looked it up, it was 217 to 215. There you go. I knew there was a 17 in there, because when I said it, I said, wait, that's 436. That's more than there are in the House. So I know I got that wrong. So it's 217, 215, and then some, of course, were not available, not unusual for uh, the vote. But anyhow, Santos says, I am not a criminal. This will not deter me from having a good legislative success. I will be effective. I will be good. By the way, to our listener that got on to me about the voice uh, impersonation for Biden, you see, I'm doing it for a Republican now. Because it's just balls and strikes. I don't care what their party is. This guy's a liar. He's a crook. I will say this, though, Rhino. Do you rarely see Democrats call their own out? Only when their hand is forced. Right, which isn't very often. I don't think this guy's a good person. It's pretty clear. When they went to his employer, whom he said he worked for, they said, we never heard of this guy. Remember that? I was involved in some private equity M&A. They said, who is this guy? Unbelievable. No, I don't think that's the sort of person you want representing you in the U.S. House of Representatives. I don't care what party they're in. It's irrelevant. You're just a liar, dude. You just are. And now you're shocked at this? Give me a break. It does make me wonder where the opposition research was for his campaign. I agree with you on that. How could they not know that? Because it was like day one after he won, all of this came out. And it's like, well, wouldn't you have been... Would it have been money better spent digging up all that dirt if you'd used it to, I don't know, actually win the seat? I agree. Did she donate her $25,000 speech fee to BLM? This is about the racial activist who denounced capitalism at the University of Texas and received $25,000 for the speech. I doubt it. I just seriously doubt it. What a joke. Ben from Madison said, yeah, I would say the Renaissance worked out pretty well in Ridgeland. Agree, Ben. Curtis and Biloxi says, about as logical as higher interest rates on mortgages if you have good credit. Yet here we are. It's upside down. No doubt. Keep doing what you're doing. Love the show, says Malcolm from Tishomingo. That in response to the person that, I guess, uh, took a bit of offense and that I'd go into a different voice whenever I'm quoting Joe Biden. The same person that gets bent out of shape when you call him a liberal or a leftist, but they only ever seem to have a problem with Republicans. True. Uh, so 
I wonder if I'm going to get, not that I care or, or am expecting this, I'm just pointing out the double standard. Are we going to get complimented kudos for calling out Republican George Santos? I doubt it. On the ceasefire text line, get chat GBT to define fair share. <laughs> well, that's part of the concerns I think people have. Is if, if we've it, got enough time in the show, there is a video I could play that might put some fears to rest about AI. Okay. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. It's the final segment today. Please stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Uh -uh. Back with you in the Element Well Studios. Peg would like for me to stop using a shrill voice. I didn't know I used that. I think of shrill, I think of Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. And neither of us sound like Gilbert Gottfried. I don't think Gottfried. so. I get fired up. I know that. It says, the yelling shrill voice makes it hard to listen for an extended period of time. Hmm. Okay. Don't know what you're listening to, but... Of course, the same, the same person said, I believe the rights of children to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are more important than the assault weapons. That sort of gives you an idea of where we are with Peg here. And also wanted, uh, I see in, in the past, wanted to point out that the surplus money that the state uh, enjoyed, surplus, is a result of Biden administration legislation. I have pointed that out, by the way, numerous times. Now it's not the exclusive factor in creating a surplus, but but there you go. What is the difference in Santos and Biden on lies? Mighty fact on might fight fact check. I'm not sure what I can say. You said it flipped a New York seat. I think it did. Pretty sure Santos flipped a seat. I'm I can't really follow what the text says there. I know Santos was just trying to be part of the crowd. I guess assuming that. All politicians uh, tell untruths, shall we say. You got some sound to play for us that I uh, do. made me chuckle over the break. This is uh, an AI-generated ad, right? Yeah, so if you think of uh, a commercial you see on television for a law firm, you, you have pretty much a, a general idea of what it's going to be like or about. You're going to have... A catchy jingle. You're going to have the, the scales of justice on the screen. They're going to be talking about the services they provide. Well, people worry that AI is going to replace people and jobs and all that. But the current level of AI is on full display with this AI-generated lawyer ad. You crash car, now hurt and little dead? No to worry. We out you lawyer and get you mega bucks. Justice for friends. We make insurance pay thick check. We strong lawyer. No law good. Accident cause hurt? 
Get monies for your ouch. Look, many happy clients. They smile money. Call now, Wincash and Ka-Ching law firm. We get their money. Make your money. <laughs> we get your money, make your money. They smile money. Pretty much sums it up. William and Brandon says, almost increased my contribution in PERS to 20% last October, and I'm so glad I did. Honestly, I wasn't aware, William, that uh, an employee in the PERS system can opt to contribute greater. I mean, it makes sense. You can opt to contribute greater than the required percentage of your pay into the program. How about quit spending money like it's going out of style? I think referring to the situation with the debt ceiling, the federal government, the deficits, and so forth. I agree. What do you want to? What do you want to cut? That's see. That's the fundamental problem. It's easy to say it's just cut the spending, but when you really drill into the details, and it, it gets a little gets a little controversial. What do you want to cut? And how much will that cut? Because we're talking about trillions that we need here, not just working around the edges. Get rid of the 13th check, says Steve in Senatobia. Well, you know what the lawmakers in the state say. If you were to propose that, support that, that's how you get your picture taken off the wall, is what they say, meaning you get unelected. I'm not for that. Someone did ask what I thought we ought to do. Um... Jib of the Delta, I don't think I've ever heard you state your opinion on the air of how they could make purse solvent. I haven't really run the numbers on it, Jim, but again, you're fairly limited in what you can do. You've got to have more coming in, less going out, or a combination of two. So I think the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, pick up a point in time, an age where anybody of this age and below, younger, could expect retirement to begin at uh, your your fully vesting point, your eligibility to receive benefits, raise the age, just like Ronald Reagan did, just like Ronald Reagan did in 1983. Phase that in over time. And uh, so that's an idea, of course. Creating what's called a new tier is another idea that just means that the structure of the program, the program, the, the plan itself would change to probably be a this would be everybody for everybody new coming into the program be a little less generous maybe require that you retire at a later age maybe require you contribute a little bit more so again working within the the parameters of the combination of um, those actions is another idea and then of course you could increase the contribution rate on the part of uh, the employee the present employees also the employer, that would be the taxpayers. That's what the PERS board did last year, increased the contribution rate up for the employers. But there was a lot of pushback on that, and it got moved to July of next year tentatively. We're out of time here today. We thank you so much for joining us. We are at Carter Jewelers tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.